episode six of the Steam Room. This is yeah, uh, we're gonna talk about a a less obvious choice this week, so it should be exciting. And if it's not, too bad. It's exciting for us. And that's all that matters. So uh, hi, I'm Lenny. I'm your host. You should know that by now. But if you don't, I'm Lenny. And with me is my exciting co-host this week, Mr. Brian. Brian, why don't you tell the lovely people about yourself? Howdy. You remember me from last time. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I am a writer for the dailydead.com and just all around Twitter annoyer. Uh, that's, I think, pretty good nutshell of, <laughs> of my uh, horror genre career at this point. Very nice. Very nice. We're here today, as we always are, to discuss a classic, not so classic, not so obvious erotic thriller. And this week's film is David Cronenberg's A History of Violence, chosen by my co-host. So if you don't like yeah. it, you can take it up with him. Yeah, I, I seem to have a uh, pattern with this. Last time I did it by accident, I didn't realize how <laughs> unsexy dressed to kill actually was since the last time I saw it. And this time I knew going into it, this was going to be a little unorthodox, but I love this movie. So I won't apologize for it. Sorry. That's not fair. Sorry. That's totally fair. And at least this one is actually sexy in part. So it's not quite as a uh, unsexy. As the other one. And it's also actually a good movie. Unlike the last one. So this there is, is that. This is true. There are benefits here. And uh, as always, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen today's film, we will be discussing the plot, so don't be an asshole. Either you're in or out. This is your last chance. So as we said, today's movie is A History of Violence, directed by David Cronenberg, starring Viggo Mortensen, Maria Bello, Ed Harris, William Hurt, and... And a small but important role from Stephen McHattie, who I like to call Canada's answer to Lance Henriksen. <laughs> Which is a great description. I love Stephen McHattie. He's the best. He is pretty great. Uh, now, as we do every week, starting recently, we're going to open things up with Steam Room Confessions, which is a poll that we do on Twitter because we want to make you part of the sexy. And we're going to even showcase some of your answers. So when you see a new Steam Room Confession come up, you should definitely answer it. This week's poll was, what is your favorite favorite unconventionally sexy film? The choices were A History of Violence, Interview with a Vampire, Womb, and Lost Highway. And the winner in kind of an almost depressing landslide was Interview with a Vampire from 1994. And I get it. I get it, people. Believe me. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I would call that unconventionally sexy. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, nothing... That's out, not fair. But see, nothing outright sexual happens. It's all, like, innuendo for the most part. So... I guess. I think... I, I mean, there is there are some sexy scenes, but nothing, like... The reason people voted this was the homoerotic sexual tension between Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, and we all know this. And that Wait, is, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> And that is not, like, conventionally part of the film. It was unintentionally conventional. Anyway, you know what I'm getting at. So, uh, musical horror honey Britney said the reason she voted for interview was, Tom Cruise is a crazy train, but I will blissfully ignore it for his sexy bisexuality. Which is fair. Everybody gets one pass for the most part. I think this is Tom Cruise's pass. So <laughs> if you aren't following Brittany and why the hell aren't you, you can do so at Stella Libretto. 
So let's do a quick recap of a history of violence. Do you want to do that part, Brian? Sure. Uh, so we open with a couple of, I don't even know if ne'er-do-wells the, uh, the best way to put it. They're a little bit more than that. And we'll just say uh, psychopathic killers are kind of on a road trip. Uh, we see them doing bad things to what looks like good people at a hotel uh, and then cut to the Stahl family uh, led by Vigo Mortensen uh, and Maria Bello and their two kids. Uh, they have this very idyllic life. Tom runs a diner. Everything's great. Uh, and then these two fellas from who knows where come stumbling into town. They threaten Tom and his customers at a diner. Uh, but before they're able to do anything, Tom manages to dispatch them in a quick and brutal manner. He's seen as the town hero until a couple of mobsters from Philly, led by Carl Fogarty, I believe his name is, Mm -hmm. played by the absolutely wonderful Ed Harris, uh, comes in claiming that Tom is not Tom at all, but a guy named Joey Cusack, who is also a rather sociopathic and psychopathic killer. And the main crux of the movie is trying to figure out whether or not the fellas from Philly got it right or whether or not they have the wrong guy. Very nice recap. Well done. Clap, clap, clap. Do my best. You did well. So we're going to kick things off talking about uh, the director, David Cronenberg, who is obviously kind of an icon in the horror community. But A History of Violence was basically his transitional film. It's really the one that took him from more traditional horror fare, more of the genre film specifically, because I think you would include Crash in indie genre fare. I don't think that's anywhere near mainstream. Uh, And I would say History of Violence is more of what mainstream critics consider standard box office fare. But is it really standard? There's something about this film that sets it apart from your typical, maybe a little extra violent drama what do you, yeah, what do you think? it um, it manages to be surreal without being surreal. Like there's nothing fantastical. Like it's not like Videodrome where people are pulling guns out of a vagina in their stomach or anything right. like that. Um, but everything seems just slightly off or, or exaggerated, uh, and it uh, just has a lot of very stark contrast between the kind of romanticizing the idyllic American family juxtaposed with some very, very brutal scenes of violence. Uh, So it still seems off is really the only, the the best word that I can think of for it. Right. And we'll we'll talk about some more elements of this later, but I think there are a lot of filmmaking choices in this that he also really eschews narrative traditional filmmaking and the choices he makes in the sound design and the music choices. There's so much about it that really makes it very much still a Cronenberg film. And yet it is this very transitional movie for him that I think that's something else that makes it really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it's mainstream while still being Cronenberg. Right. Right. And everything about it like is really pure and raw. It feels really and this that kind of makes the violence feel a little extra horrific. There's nothing masking the gunshots, the the death scenes, the the fists connecting to bone, uh, which is something that really you really notice if you watch a lot of films like this. It is that 
commitment to the brutality. And we're seeing more of it now. It's something I noticed in um, Haywire and Atomic Blonde that they pulled away soundtrack and stuff to really focus on the, the sounds of violence. And I think that's something that we really got here too. Yeah, I agree. People have talked about Cronenberg's violence as being very unromantic. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of movies like to, when they start getting into the violent scenes, starts going into slow-mo and, you know, you get that John Woo, like doves flying into the screen before it happens here. You know, it's not about the music. It's, you know, violence has consequences. And I think that's most on display here. Uh, This movie almost plays out kind of like a parable or an allegory where the characters aren't really nuanced people. They're more symbolic tropes of violence. Uh, Like Tom and Joey is the conflict between our own violent impulses and our desire to be more civilized. And uh, the, the two uh, guys from the beginning, Leland and Billy, the people who try and rob the diner, uh, they're kind of like, the epitome of the misery of violence because mm-hmm. neither of them are at all happy about what they're doing. They just kind of do it. Right. Um, you know, you get Ed Harris as, uh, and his whole crew is those who use violence as a tool or as a weapon. Um, and you get Maria Bello. Um, I, I put in my notes, repressed violence. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but I guess it's kind of like simmering. Like it's there. It's not that she's actively trying to press it down, right. but it's unexpected. You know, but it's still there. And I think that comes out of her through the movie, too, in certain situations. Um, So none of these people really have a lot of, like, subtle moments, but I don't think they're supposed to. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good analysis. You're on fire tonight, friend. Thanks. (laughs) So that leads to another, like, Cronenbergian element, is that he is really well known for body heart. I mean, he's kind of one of the masters of body heart. And I think it, it strikes me in this film that his history and body horror is really relevant to the things that happen in this movie. I think it's expe- like a, a, there's a scene that really gets to me where uh, Mortensen's character is just like driving someone's nasal bone up into their brain. And every like crunch just that that's body horror like there's nothing not horrific about that and it's i that's where i really saw like the cronenberg that i grew up on come out no definitely yeah um and it's again such a perfect fit for what he's trying to get at with this movie um you know the, the the definitely the nose scene is one for me, but the one that I always go back to is in the diner scene where he shoots Stephen McCaddy in the back of the head. Spoiler alert! And he's just a mess. Like he's still alive. He's trying to breathe through the mess where his face used to be, mm-hmm. and it's just so horrific. And again, this isn't supposed to be like, oh man, that was badass. This is oh god, this is horrible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are several scenes like that throughout because the, the, you know, it's right there in the title. This is a fucking violent film, mm-hmm. and but it's it's never. I don't want to say pointless because I'm sure you could make an argument that violence is always pointless. But in the context of the film, it's very purposeful violence. It's always towards an end. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, for whoever is committing it, there's always a reason for it, and. It, especially like I always thought like Ed Harris's character is a very elegant 
mobster. He's that kind of feel like the godfather vision that we have of mobsters without being a I don't know, like a stereotype. It's really mm-hmm. it's a really interesting character and his violence especially it's very measured and very purposeful. And I've always thought that was a really interesting character choice on his part. And I was also reading some trivia on this. It was on IMDb, so take it for what you will with that. But they talked about originally these characters, because it was the mob, were supposed to be Italian. And when he cast the people he did, he realized none of these people would make convincing Italian mobsters. (laughs) So that's why he switched it to Irish. But I think that's a better choice, too, because it gets it out of that realm of like stereotype. And again, it just kind of puts the focus back on the points he's trying to make with it. And even then, I don't feel it. It's not entirely obvious that they belong to any one nationality of mobster. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like you could, it could be any, any means of crime family, any, any, like anything. And it, it would still have worked, which I think is a really, again, interesting mode of the casting and the way it played out which which is just makes it that more fantastic um i i love the cast in this movie it's one of my favorite things about it it's so good yeah and so i just briefly kind of tangential a little bit his next film was eastern promises which was really similar in tone and style um similar cast even it starred vigo mortensen it was horrific and violent subtly sexy but then he kind of waffled after that, making Cosmopolis and Map to the Stars. And did you see either of those? There's always got to be one point when we do this recording where I have to be the asshole who says he didn't see the movies you're talking about. <laughs> this is going to be that point for us this evening. So Okay, so I'm just going to like throw it out there. And if a viewer wants to chat with me about it, you can. So, But I have seen, but I have seen Eastern Promises. Great. I just haven't seen Cosmopolis okay. or Map to the Stars. I don't recommend it. Um, actually, okay. Cosmopolis isn't terrible but map to the stars is terrible so anyway <laughs> i know i know uh our pats is one of them is he in both of them though i forget who? i know he's in cosmopolis right who oh yes uh robert pattinson i was like who's yeah. our pats oh robert pattinson gotcha trying trying to talk like the kids you I, know how it is. I am not the kids i'm not good at these things um so those two films kind of almost tried to combine a history of violence and eastern promises with his original style and it didn't mm-hmm. work it, there, it was too surreal and too realistic, and I don't always feel like it's easy to pull that combination off. No matter who you are, it's it's a really hard line to walk. Um, but I think you can still speak to the fact of what was it about A History of Violence and Eastern Promises that made them work so well, even though they were so outside of what he'd really been doing up till this point. Honestly, I think it's their simplicity. You know, they, they don't try and be, especially history of violence. I think it's maybe 80 minutes and change. Mm -hmm. So they just get right to the point. They don't mess around with any kind of frivolous, uh, side tangents, anything like that. It's just boom, boom, boom. And I, I think something about that simplicity is part of what makes it work so well. Absolutely. I totally agree. So we're going to pop back into steam room confessions real quick. And uh, our darling friend Lloyd Doppler's ghost responded to the option of womb on the survey by saying, I'm going to say not womb because I just Googled it, realized I've seen it, blocked it out, and now am traumatized again. 
We love you, Lloyd, and I still think you should watch Womb because it's one of my favorite movies ever. You can still follow Lloyd at LloydDobbler89. So, yeah, seriously, watch Womb. I love it. Anyway. (laughs) So, personally, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is the bully retaliation scene. Is it amazing or is it amazing? And by the way, that kid is awfully arrogant for somebody with 80s Corey Feldman hair. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, and it's it still goes in with that whole everyone in this movie is a trope, and mm-hmm. I don't know how many people they had to go through to find the bully, oh but God. it was worth it yeah. because they nailed it. Like this kid, anyone who's ever gotten a swirly was probably picturing this kid doing it because right? he is just the epitome of alpha male jerk off, and he does it just perfectly. And it's one of those things where you hope he's going to get his. And then when he does, it's once again, it's this mixture of, well, you had it coming, but also, oh my God, this is, this is intense. Right. It is. Cause it's a, and, it's a really, it's a, a, if you haven't seen the film, I'm sorry. Again, you knew what you were in for. The son is relentlessly bullied by this jock asshole and then he starts coming at him after the point where his father has had the incident in the diner. So he's got this little bit of extra oomph. And the kid's ragging on him and ragging on him and calling him these horrible names. And so he beats the shit out of him. And it's not like a high school John Hughes movie beating the shit out of him. It is a straight up beat down. And... You know, part of you is, is seriously cheering him on because that kid fucking had it coming. But at the same time, they tell you later that the kid ended up in the hospital. Yeah. So it's they, they address the real world implications, like his parents were gonna like come after him for assault. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So it's it's legit. And it's funny because at the same time, the son is still treating it like it's he was giving him his John Hughes movie comeuppance. Cause right. I remember the, the line, like, you know, he's been riding me all year, dad. He's a jerk. You yeah. know, the, the same way that you would say like, well, he's been bullying me. And I set up for myself. You know, and, 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 you know, Tom tells him, well, yeah, you stand up to him. You don't put him in the hospital. Right. Cause it's not like you shoved him in a locker. I mean, this kid is like laying on the floor, bleeding from the face when it's over. Mm-hmm. And but then they then they get to the point of what they're getting at with this is you know you can tell there's a lot going on under the surface with the son because when he says you don't put him in the hospital he goes no in this family we kill them so that obviously you know there's a lot more going on with that scene than that kid being an asshole right yeah it's 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 a great moment there's so mm-hmm. much happening not just there but in the scene that follows it it's it's good stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which is a great segue into the acting in this film, which is exceptional. Like I, you know, everybody's good. Um, my two personal favorites are Vigo and Maria Bello. But when you when it comes to Vigo Mortensen, when you're watching, especially when you're really watching it, it's almost insane how layered everything is in this movie. There's this particular scene on the front on a front lawn when a fight has just happened, and you can almost watch his face drifting out like in and out in and out of the two different people out of joey into dom back into joey back into tom and it's unnerving watching it happen and it's so subtle but it's just it's perfect 
Oh, yes. Um, and I guess this is our official, you know, uh, another warning for spoiler alert. Tom is Joey. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he was, in fact, he was, in fact, Joey from Philly. And uh, again, this is a 12 year old movie. You had your chance. Yeah. But again, this is why I, I open every show. Don't be an asshole. We <laughs> gave you a warning. I don't want to hear about it later. And I think what Vigo Mortensen does so well in this movie is that when he is acting like Tom Stahl, he's got this good layer of artifice to it. Like he's the, the person he's playing is trying to be this person. So everything seems slightly artificial about it. But when he does that drift, when he flips that switch and he's back as Joey Cusack, that artifice is gone. You can tell this is who he really is. And it feels so much more natural. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really exceptional. One of my favorite shots of, of all time, like in cinema ever, uh, is going back to what you were talking about in the, the, the front porch scene. The look on his face when he's walking up to his son with blood on his face mm-hmm. is just, just thinking about it. I get chills thinking yeah. about that scene. Just imagining what it's like to be that kid to watch this probably looks like a stranger at this point, but you know, with the face of your dad walking up to you with blood all over his face, which mind you, the blood was caused by the son shooting Fogarty. So right. the blood, you know, it, it, the bloodshed was actually from the kid, but just like all that's gone in that moment where you just see Vigo and just that menace in his face. It's so great. It's yes. Great. I love it. There's so many performances in this movie that I think are just highly underrated, which leads me to Maria, who I think is also her role in this film is one of the most underrated in film history. She's just, she's exceptional watching her through the movie because again, spoilers abound here. You know, she has all these options throughout the movie and she could turn into this very cliche, shrieky wife. Look what you've done. I'm going to leave you. I hate you. All that kind of crap that could have happened. And yet she keeps with him and it's it's not like that stereotype of the good wife either it's like she's letting it play out to see what happens because she doesn't she knows where she's at and she wants to get a handle on her situation too and she's almost getting control of a person that she's becoming over the course of this movie it's really a really well-written female character that i think does not get credit enough for how unique it is, especially in this particular genre. 100% agree. And I also don't think a lot of people could pull it off the way Maria Bello did, which goes back to your underrated point. You know, she, she does things in this movie where, you know, it could fall into stereotype. It could come off as over the top and she doesn't, slip into that at all you 100 percent buy why she would stay in this situation yeah it, she she is yeah one of i think one of our most underrated working actors right now she mm-hmm. deserves a lot more credit than she gets especially for this film it's also it was i think it was spoiler alert a really ballsy decision to cast ed harris and then dispatch him halfway through the movie i mean that's, mm-hmm. that's like classic cronenberg he doesn't really he he values actors, but doesn't overvalue them. If that makes sense, <laughs> like, yeah. And he also up. doesn't make the mistake to think that by getting rid of them early, that it somehow diminishes their effect. If anything, you know, in this case, just the the suddenness of that scene just makes it all that much more effective. 
Exactly. Like, it's like he has them show up and do what they do exceptionally and then just enough. Like, you've done, you've done your role. You've done well. Now get out of here. I think that's a really that's a really it's a sign of a really good director that when you know when you know how to do that. Mm-hmm. By the way, I don't know if you're in a position to do so, but I want to see if I can really freak you out right now. If you can look at Wikipedia and look up Ed Harris's page on there, look at his photo and tell me that doesn't look like the most evil person you've ever seen in your life. I don't know what happened when they took this picture, but he just looks like he maybe <laughs> is going to or just killed somebody. Well, obviously now I'm looking. <laughs> I feel like he's going to murder me. <laughs> Viewer listeners, you definitely need to do this too. He he is eyeballing something fierce. I wonder what movie he was promoing because this was recent. Maybe it was Westworld because I think it said like 2017 yeah, Comic Con. Uh, yeah. Maybe he was giving them the, what is it, the man in black I think that's his character Maybe, there. Maybe yeah. he was giving them a little taste of that. <laughs> Either that or he was just tired of being asked questions like the cranky old man he is. I can see that yeah. too. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a fun diversion. Right. Um, so we kind of covered the use of music in the movie, but okay. So fun backstory here. I was briefly a music major in college or in one of my classes I took was music editing, which is, the people that put music in movies. You know, you do all the work and find all the songs and set up the cues and all that. So one of my final projects was to analyze every single musical cue in this movie. And I can't even begin to tell you how many times I had to watch it. So that was 2006. I have not watched this movie since 2006. And I swear I would never watch it again because... I mean, at least 20 times I had to watch it all the way through, if not more. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I, well, I appreciate you uh, taking one for the team, and I, I hope you uh, had enough distance between that that you got to enjoy it again. I did. I enjoyed it very much. So there has been, it has been long enough. And I, I still noticed every musical cue, though. <laughs> which, though, brings me to my point, which is that the use of music in the movie is very sparse, and it focuses instead on the sound and editing effects with the scenes of violence, almost to the point where you don't always notice the music which I think is another really interesting choice. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't realize that until you'd mentioned it. Um, but now that you bring that up, I realized the, the music isn't in a lot of the climactic scenes. It's mm-hmm. more, you know, in the in-betweens and when the action is actually happening, you're right. It, it's concentrating and I think this again goes all into you know what we've been talking about, where this isn't a romanticized version of violence. So there's no music playing when this kind of stuff happens. You hear the bones crunch, you hear the impact of the the bullets, you know, hitting torsos. Um, and you know, I, I think that's a another really good decision that he makes to uh, to not rely on the music when that's happening. Yeah, it it almost makes when the when the credits come up and the the orchestral closing credits music kind of hits you it's almost jarring like I've, I forgot about that until I watched it this time when the credits come up and they do come up almost kind of suddenly like you're expecting there to be more film and it, it cuts out on you um that music it's it's like a bucket of cold water on you because it's way more light and soothing than it probably should be which mm-hmm. also was a really cool choice mm-hmm. 
so obviously you you know you're in the steam room you came here for the sex and it's it's in this movie you know it's otherwise we wouldn't be here at all i mean i'm not just picking random movies for the hell of it so we're gonna we're gonna get into the good stuff in a minute but we have to talk about first the juxtaposition of sex and violence now this is something that we see in a lot of films especially movies like natural born killers american psycho bas et moi you know these are movies that examine the intersection of sex and violence and how they often go hand in hand but how is this movie different um for me it kind of strikes me that this particular film is not about sexual violence but it's more about the twin adrenaline rushes of sex and violence. And I, that's kind of always been what struck me about it. And I could not put it any better than that. That's absolutely perfect. You know, this movie has sex and it has violence, but it doesn't really combine the two. It more shows them as parallels in terms of kind of showing the ways that they can produce similar I guess feelings, but not never kind of mushes them together uh, with, I guess one exception in the staircase, which we'll get to shortly, but right. uh, for, for the most part, uh, yeah, it's not, I, I love that it's not sexual violence, but it's sex and violence in this right. movie. Because it does a similar thing with humor and violence. Now I, I often wondered if it was just me because there, there are some sort of like unexpected weird release moments where I would, I will, I laugh at things that shouldn't be funny. Like, there's a moment when William Hurt is, like, yelling at his henchmen, like, how do you fuck that up? Or something along those lines. Like, and that always, like, it's it gives me a minute to, like, laugh. Even though the guy's, like, bleeding on the floor and clearly about to die. Um, but it, it's, it's that same kind of thing where laughing at something that probably shouldn't really be funny, it, it's the same thing as kind of intercutting these really sexual scenes within scenes of extreme violence it's giving you a release a minute to focus on something else yeah and it, it makes me wonder how much of it is humor versus how much of it is it's almost like this release it's almost like a gasp for you for these scenes now i will say the line where he says how can you fuck that up that's just a funny line. Okay. I, I laugh every time. <laughs> I mean, um, even though like the stuff that's going on in that scene, like it's horrifying, but at the same time, like it's objectively cause funny. <laughs> Cause he's right. How do you fuck that up? Yeah, it's one guy and like six yeah. guys with guns. Like he doesn't even have a gun. <laughs> but, but I will say, I think Richie's kind of at fault for that. Cause he kind of telegraphed it with the whole, you can die and then kind of doing the bond villain turn in his yeah. chair. Of course he knew what was coming. So I would, I would put that on Richie, but yeah, uh, I also get why he might've been a little aggravated. Yeah, for sure. Cause you know, there's only one way that ends for him and it wasn't going to end well. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So we're going to jump into the sex, but we're going to start with another steam room confessions answer. And Michelle Keep on Twitter actually voted for today's film, A History of Violence, and commented that the oral sex scene in A History of Violence blew me away. I don't think there was a pun intended there, but good We're on her take if it. it was unintentional. <laughs> you can follow Michelle on Twitter at JM Keep. So this is a good segue into the sex. Uh, one thing that struck me, even when this movie came out, 
was, and I totally have the wrong date up here, so of course that's throwing me up now, uh, 2005. So one thing, even in 2005, something you didn't see a lot was a guy in a mainstream film performing oral sex on a woman. And that kind of shocked the hell out of me the first time I saw this, was that 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 happens rather early in the film. Like, even before we really get into the crux of anything in the film, we see this sex scene between them that involves role-playing. Maria Bella's in a cheerleader costume. And he just straight up goes down on her. And it's like, good for you. Good for you, Vigo. Yeah, yeah. And I, I will say, I forget how, but someone was talking about this movie before I had seen it and they mentioned that. So it didn't have really the ability to shock me because I knew it was coming. Uh, (laughs) That being said, it was still like, wow, I'm watching two people 69 in a mainstream movie. Right. But after repeated viewings and no, not those kinds of repeated viewings, (laughs) seeing it in the context of they're presenting this as a married couple spicing up their sex life. And so I never thought I'd ever say that a 69 scene is quaint, but in the context of the movie, it almost kind of is. Yeah, because she, she she says something along the lines of, like, I didn't know you in high school, so... And then she shows up in the cheerleading outfit, and it's it's cute. I mean, it's cute. And then it, it's really, really kind of sexy. And then it's <laughs> over. It could have gone on longer. That was my one complaint. I would have liked to have seen more. But I feel like they were holding back for what came later, which is entirely possible. What comes later? <laughs> The Okay, so I think the most well-known scene in this film and the one that everybody talks about is a sex scene on the stairs after, uh, after she knows that her husband is not really her husband. And it's, it almost starts out problematic because for a minute you think something violent's about to happen and it's going to be non-consensual sex. And then it's very consensual and it's raw and it is almost kind of violent. And but then it's really sexy and it looks really painful. And you find out later it was really painful, but it works. And why does it work? I, I it's still like no matter how many times I saw it, you don't quite grasp why it works, but it works. I, I think. What how it works for me is because it subverts the girls love a bad boy trope. You know, the idea that you know it's playing with that notion that she's somehow more attracted to him now that she knows he's a killer. And I don't think that's what this scene is about. Mm-hmm. Uh this scene for me is much more about um Maria than it is about Vigo. Right. You know, her character is hurt and betrayed. But the feelings you have for a person don't just go away, you know, even if you do realize they've done something horrible. So I think it's just toying with this idea that, you know, this scene is kind of almost like a sex scene of despair, but also of catharsis in Mm -hmm. in some aspect. And it's also toying with the idea that Maria Bella's character has got her own dark side, um, which you kind of get that when he they're kind of struggling and he realizes what he's doing and he kind of goes to go away and she grabs him and says, nah, you're, you know, we're doing this now. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, it, it puts her into the situation of, 
I don't want to say power, but no, you know, it doesn't put her in a, a submissive position. It's absolutely about power. And I think, yeah. I think that's her moment where she's taking that power back. She's felt out of control because he has completely upended her life by she, I mean, when they had that moment in the hospital when she's like, well, you know what, my name, my, what's my mm. name? What's our kid's last name? Like she doesn't even know who she is anymore. And that moment on the stairs is her taking her power back. She's saying, no, this is my moment. We're doing what I want to do. And it's, it's really sexy because of that, because she's in so much control. And then they put that final button on it when, when they're done, he's looking at her with that almost desperate, like, are we okay? Look. Yeah. And she just realizes like, Oh God, you disgust me. And she just drops him yeah, and just like, he tries to grab her leg and she just yanks it away. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really powerful moment and it's sexy because of, again, because all of that power and emotional and the emotional power, the physical power, it, it's really incredible for all those reasons. And another piece of trivia about that scene is that apparently um, in the following scene where he looks into the, or where you see her from behind in the bedroom, she's got the bruises on her back. Mm-hmm. They actually had to apply makeup to reduce the number of bruises on her back. Oh my God. That does, well, that, that's ins- it, that it was, it was such a kind of violent scene, you know, how it played out that, yeah, she actually got dinged up more than what they actually showed. And that is actually a perfect place to pause for a bad touch service announcement from our resident sexpert, Miss Bella Blitz. Hello, everyone. Bella here with your BTSA bad touch service announcement. Sex on the stairs would be better suited as a nifty cocktail for a number of reasons. First, I like cocktails. Second, have you ever been on stairs? Those things are treacherous. Fucking your way up or down them could be hazardous to your health and your staircase. It may seem like a good acrobatic time while you're sober, emotionally stable, and upright. But I promise, once you're writhing around removing banisters from your bum and wondering why you can't feel anything below your belly button, because you pressed a nerve in that creaky stair from third one from the top, by the way, you'll probably reconsider your staircase sexcapades. Unless you're a doctor or like to play one in the bedroom, these stairs are made for walking. Come back to me when you found an elevator to go down in. Thank you, Bella, for that informative and helpful safety announcement. All right, so before we ask our last question, I, I have to ask you kind of a, another spoiler question. It's it's one of those questions that I feel like we're always going to have when a movie just ends, and this is one of those movies that just ends. Um, do they make it? Is there any surviving all of this as a family? Are they ever going to be able to forget what he's put them through? Uh, I want your opinion before I give mine. If they survive, it's only if they don't forget. The family needs to accept, and, and I was really thick because you asked the question, and I came to the conclusion that everyone needs to accept that Joey is Joey. He can't go on keeping to pretend to be this other person. Now, he can be an evolved version of Joey where he is the, the, the diner owner, probably to the general public. He still needs to be Tom Stahl. But within that family, everybody, including especially Joey, needs to recognize that he is Joey. Mm-hmm. And I think the scene where he goes back to Philadelphia and there's that very 
pointed moment where one of Richie's thugs asks him, are you Joey? And there's that beat and he goes, yeah, I'm Joey. Mm-hmm. And I think that represents him coming to terms with the fact that like he can't pretend to be this other person anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I get your point. And I agree that, you know, the, the only way they can move forward is by accepting, but I just can't imagine any situation under which long term that would work. Like maybe, maybe the little girl, might survive it because she might not have any idea of really what's going on. But between the son and, and the Maria Bello, I just, I don't know. I can't imagine being, especially the, the violence that he brought into their life. Like the son had to kill somebody, you know, sh- the stuff that they've all seen. I, I have trouble imagining any scenario in the long term where that kind of just settles into a happy family life. I guess I just have to, I, I like to think somehow they figure it out yeah. and that just might be thinking on my part. And it's also just because it's part of what I love about the way the movie ends. Um, Cause I remember, I think I was listening to the commentary where they talked about, you know, there's no dialogue in that scene. Uh, it's the one scene that does have a little bit of subtlety to it mm-hmm. because they just give each other these tiny little looks and uh, it was either I think it was Cronenberg saying that, you know, the, the script ends in the, the, the narrative. It, it basically just says, you know, Tom slash Joey sees something in her eyes and there's a little flicker and just a tiny flicker of hope. And it ends on that. So, you know, it, is it likely that they could survive this as a family you're probably right. It's probably not great, but I do like the idea of hanging on to that tiny flicker of hope, partially because just the idea of that tiny flicker of hope that, you know, it, it's very rare that people can change and, and go on to become better people, but it's got to happen now and then. Otherwise, like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. I, I'll give you that. Ah, hope. <laughs> So I know, I know today's really the day to really, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You got to hang on to a little bit of it. Otherwise again, Mm -hmm. yeah, really, what do we got? We got nothing. (laughs) Speaking of hope, as we do on every episode of the steam room, we like to rate the sex in the film we just watched. So on a scale of one to five, how basement flooding are the scenes of groping for trout in the peculiar river? (laughs) And yes, I've taken all of my sex euphemisms historical now, so just enjoy it for a while until I get bored again. (laughs) So uh, I went with a three for this one. While there are plenty of elements to give these scenes a much higher rating, obviously Maria Bello and Viggo Mortensen are super hot. The role-playing scene's great. The raw sexuality of the stare sex. There's something that prevents me from fully ever giving over to it. And uh, I like to call that the Cronenberg disconnect. Um, it's like crash like you know you're watching it thinking fuck this is really hot but at the same time dear god what am i watching um so i yeah i have to go with a three it's it's not that it's not sexy it's just hard to like be like oh sploosh like it's just yeah yeah uh i'm also going to go with a three but for a slightly different reason uh the main reason for me is because i've seen this movie so many damn times this like (laughs) sex is just another part of the movie for me and uh i've been analyzing these this especially recently for this episode that it took some of the sexy sheen off of it it's not quite as you know 
uh, titillating as before. And also, you also realize that with the sex scenes, again, he's going for he's not even romanticizing the sex scenes, you know, in the, the initial one, uh, they're again, the married couple trying to spice up sex life. It is super hot when they, you know, drift into the old sex extravaganza, but it's also, you know, he's making the point that, you know, it's, it's a married couple. Um, and then the, the last uh, scene where they're on the stairs, it's super sexy, but it's also real. And if you pay attention to some of the faces they're making, it goes to the fact that you know we make some really goofy looking faces during <laughs> sex as a species, and they definitely do that here. So they they were going authentic, which right. again, um, it, it just makes the movie that much better. Uh, but when you notice it, it's like, oh wow, that's you know a little bit. That's a little bit of a silly face. <laughs> that's also totally fair. Absolutely. Well, kids, thank you for joining us for this. Uh, little bit violent episode of the steam room if you want to follow us you can do that on instagram which is where we post pictures all the time and right now we're knees deep in our tribute to sexy horror scenes so that's a lot of fun check in every day for a new one you can read the steam room reviews articles lists all that fun stuff in belladonna magazine every month you can check things out that we've done in the past on thehorrorhoneys.com Brian, where can the lovely people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Evil Taylor Hicks. You can find me not as often, but sometimes on Facebook, uh, Brian Christopher. And you can find my column catalog from the beyond at uh, the, uh, the dailydead.com. Oh, I'm oh. sorry, just dailydead.com. I keep putting that uh, there. Uh, no, that's, that's fair. I do that a lot, too. If you enjoyed what you heard here today in the steam room, hey, give us a rating on iTunes. Share the love. And, of course, don't forget to check out Bad Touch on YouTube and learn the real-life applications of all the cinematic sexy we discuss here every episode. So, kids, thank you again for joining us this week. And remember, there may not be any sex in the champagne room, but there is always sex in the steam room. <laughs>